welcome again to Bethany. It is so good to have you here with us. It's Easter. Should I say it? Our Lord is risen. Amen. Welcome. This is so exciting to be here with you on the most significant day in human history, celebrating that most significant day when Jesus Christ rose from the grave. The singular event that changed everything, that brings hope to the hopeless. Have you ever found yourself longing for hope? Growing up uh, in the 60s and 70s, my dad had things different. He was uh, the youngest of three kids, grew up in this town on the outskirts, kind of rough and tumble, known as Fontana, Fontana, California. And around the Burke House, there were fields, open fields all over the place. And in these fields were treasures. There were things like rusting old trucks and tires and trash. And to us, we'd look at it and we'd say, wow, that's the other side of the trash. Not sure I want to go over there. But to them, it was adventure land, the place where dreams were made of and imaginations just burst forth. They could do all sorts of things as children. They rode go-karts up and down the streets. They did front yard archery, BB gun tag in the fields. It was, it was pretty awesome. Everything a, a kid back then would, would love to experience. Life was good. Although, being the youngest had its disadvantages. Uh, there was one occasion when his older brother had a friend over, and they decided it would be entertaining if they chased my dad around the yard with their BB guns, pelting him as they went. And as you can imagine, he didn't really enjoy that. He took shelter in the garage, and there in the garage, he found the solution to all his problems his dad's hunting bow, and he grabbed it, and he stretched out an arrow, and as his brother turned the corner, he let it loose, and it went straight for him. Have you ever found yourself longing for hope, dying for a miracle, wishing there was a way that you could take that moment back? make things right. Fortunately for him, the arrow just bounced off his brother's back and he received a mild pummeling. <laughs> Longing for hope. There are times in our lives where we long for hope. Maybe, you're, you, maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you've come face to face with that, that horrible reality known as death. Maybe you've seen your life flash before your eyes. Maybe it wasn't about you. Maybe it was about a loved one, a family, a family member, or a close friend, or maybe it was even a beloved pet. Maybe, you've, maybe you haven't come face to face with that kind of reality yet, but there are all kinds of death, right? There's uh, realizing that a dream is never going to come true. 
or friendships that fall apart, or plans, plans that you had longed to see happen and they, they just fall apart, or, or family goes sideways and you have siblings that are out of control, or parents that just fly off the rails in uncontrollable rage. You know, it could be as heavy as finding out that your parents are getting a divorce, or as light as realizing you're not getting what you want for Christmas. In the wise words of Master Splinter, that oversized rat from the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, death comes to all Arukusaki. <laughs> you didn't expect to hear that on Easter Sunday, did you? <laughs> we all experience death and we all experience loss and, and those desperate moments and, and disappointment, don't we? What do you do with that? Where, where, where do you go? Where do you turn? When everything looks the worst, everything falls apart. Two sisters knew what to do. They knew exactly what to do. And at the beginning of the Gospel of John, chapter 11, we find out that Mary and Martha had a brother. A brother who was desperately ill, really sick. This wasn't the, the sore throat. This wasn't the cough kind of sick. This guy was in a bad way. He was in trouble. His sisters knew it, and they looked for help. They turned to the one who they knew could do amazing things. They turned to a man named Jesus. John eleven three tells us, So the sisters sent to him, that is, sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. This was a family that already knew Jesus. Mary had spent time with Jesus. She anointed his feet, washed them with her hair. And Jesus must have known them, them, them well and their brother. I mean, they send to him, they, sing, they say, he whom you love is ill. Basically, they're saying, Jesus, you know us. You know us. You care about us, our family. You care about our brother, right? He's so sick. We're in desperate need here. Can you do something about it? Have you ever asked for help when things seemed desperate? Things weren't going well. You toss up a prayer wondering if God is going to respond, wondering if he might actually send down help from heaven. That's what's going on here. Check out what happens next in verse 4. When Jesus heard about it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Jesus gets the message and immediately says, I got it. Don't worry. This sickness is not going to end in death. Wow, what a relief. That is so good to know. Don't you wish you could have an answer, have that clarity, right? When you are in that desperate moment, your finances are crashing on you. You don't know how you're going to get through. You find out that a loved one is dealing with this or with that, but you get the word, you get the message, it's going to be okay. They are going to be fine. And it's not just that friend, that wishful thinking from a friend, like, hey, everything's going to be fine, don't worry, don't worry. You know that's not true. But it's from an authoritative source, and you say, yes, that's good. Jesus knows what's going on. He knows what's going on. He didn't have to, he didn't, he didn't have to send a message back uh, asking for the symptoms. 
Hey, can you share with me a little bit more? What, what's going on here? Let me make a diagnosis, and then I'll get back to you. I'll see if I really need to get over there quickly. No, he already knows what's going on. And not only does he know what's going on, he knows why it is going on. Notice he says, it's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be, may be glorified through it. In other words, he tells them that there's a reason Lazarus is sick. God's going to do something here. He's going to do something with it. He's going to show that Jesus really is God's son by what is about to happen here. Have you ever stopped to consider that the pain you might be experiencing, the sorrow, the loss that you are going through might have a purpose? Maybe God is going to show you something about himself through it. How, maybe it's how much you need him or how you can actually trust him through it. Jesus knew exactly what was happening. He knew why it was happening. And just like Jesus knew what was happening with Lazarus' body, God knows exactly what's going on with you and with me. 1 John 3.20 tells us God knows everything. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him. And so there's nothing you can do to hide from God. You could put on 15 layers of clothing, and he sees right through them. It's actually a little disturbing. Matthew 10.30 says, Even the hairs on your head are numbered. David said in Psalm 139, O Lord, you search me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. This is crazy. And God not only knows about you down to the very last hair. And that can be a moment-by-moment moment thing for us, right? Some of you guys, you've just got a few that are, you're hanging on to. You're like, bing! You're like, no! <laughs> he knows that. He knows the thoughts in your head, even right now, as you're thinking, this guy is nuts who's up here. He knows your habits. He knows what time you go to bed, what time you get up, in the morning or afternoon. <laughs> he knows what you're going to do next before you even do it. Even before a word is on my tongue, you know it altogether. God knows you. He knows exactly what is going on with you, whether it's good or bad, happy or sad. But you know, it's one thing to know that somebody knows what's going on with us. And it's another thing to know whether or not they care, right? Have you ever been going through something hard? <laughs> you pray, God, help me. This is what's going on. And it just didn't seem like he cared. That's the way I think Mary and Martha must have felt. Look at what happens next. Verse 5 of John chapter 11. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. 
So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Did you get that? It says because Jesus loved them, he decided to wait. Are you as confused as I am? This is incredible. Jesus loves them. He cares about them. So he says, "Ah, you know what? They can wait. They're like family to me. Yeah, they really don't matter, right? Is that what he's saying? Jesus might be saying that he cares, but it sure doesn't seem like it from the way he's acting, does it? Doesn't seem like it. And Mary and Martha must have been absolutely shocked. How could Jesus do this to us? We know him. He's been to our house. We, we, we love him. He knows we're in real trouble here. He said he cares about us, but he won't walk a couple of miles to come and help our brother when he is in this desperate time of need. Could it be that God's just all talk? <laughs> he says he cares about you and for me. And yet time and time and time again, when we're in trouble, we call out to him for help. He seems like he's just ignoring us. We don't get any audible voice. I haven't gotten any audible voice from God in my most desperate times. Maybe he's just a phony. Maybe he's just a liar. Maybe he's, uh, he's just kind of sick and twisted and likes letting people down after he's gotten their hopes up. Or maybe he just can't do anything at all. We're no strangers to disappointment, are we? We know what it's like to be let down. We've been told to get excited about this or trust in that or here's the thing or here's the person that is going to make your life better only to find out the hard way that it's just too good to be true. I think that must have been the way Mary and Martha felt. They must have felt that way. And I have no doubt that that's exactly the way that many of Jesus' followers felt as they stood there. Jaws slack, staring blankly up at the cross where his body hung lifeless. Can you imagine? Luke 23, 48 says, all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breasts. All his acquaintances and all the women who followed him from Galilee, they stood at a distance watching these things. Those who knew and loved Jesus, I think were devastated. And three days later, there were two women who had followed Jesus, and they were walking to a nearby village, and they came across a man on the road. They encountered this man, and they began to have a conversation with him, and they shared their disappointment with him. They told him what had happened. They said, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And they go on to say him that he was delivered up by our chief priests, by our rulers, to be condemned to death and was crucified. And then they say, But we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We we had hoped, but 
Have you stood there in shock and disbelief asking yourself, what just happened? You're longing for hope, but the hope that you thought was there, it's nowhere to be found. Standing there with tear-soaked faces, staring into the man that they thought held the key to hope, Mary and Martha must have felt that way. We hoped but there's something very important for us here, and we don't want to miss it. Remember John tells us that, that it's because Jesus loved them that he waited. Because Jesus loved them. Either Jesus is, is, is weak or twisted or just a terrible person, um, being God and knowing everything, including absolutely what's best for us. Could, could it be that, that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, that he decided to wait because he knew what was best for them? Could it be that if he healed Lazarus right off the bat, right away, that that wasn't what was very best for them? Could it be that God taking away every problem of ours and making our lives beautiful and wonderful right here, right now, answering every single one of our prayers in the moment, could it be that that may not be what is actually best for us? You see, if, if, if God knows everything, and when we only know the little that we know, it's entirely possible, is it not, that he might sometimes do things that make absolutely no sense to us. And when your parents tell you, you can't go out there and you can't play in that street, and you think, you're spoiling all my fun. But they know what dangers lie there. If you and I were on a hike and it's hot outside and you are just completely exhausted, your throat's dry, and then you see this crystal clear stream uh, just coming through the, 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 the ground there and, and you kneel down and you cup your hand to take a sip of water and I start yelling at you saying, don't drink that, you're going to think I'm a psycho. And yet, what if I know that there are very, very dangerous parasites and dangerous bacteria in that water, and what I'm do actually doing is protecting you? Could it be that Jesus was actually loving this family to the max by waiting? Check it out. After two days, Jesus tells his disciples, let's, uh, let's go visit Mary and Martha because Lazarus has died. It says this, John uh, eleven fourteen. Then Jesus told them plainly, his disciples, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Let's go to them. He, he said, he's dead. And then he says something absolutely shocking. I'm glad I wasn't there. It's actually good that it worked out this way. Because there's a bigger, better purpose here through this, 
for this horrible, devastating experience that they're going through. Now, notice Jesus doesn't say that he's happy that Lazarus is dead. No, he's not happy about that. He's not happy that the sisters are devastated. He says that he's glad because the way this is happening is going to help everyone believe what really matters. There are so many times when we don't understand what God is doing, why he allows different hard things to exist, things to happen in our world, globally, in our state, locally, in our very own lives. (laughs) And yet he does so for our good and his glory. Sometimes the hard things that we go through in life are there so that we can learn to trust him and to see how awesome he is and how much we need him. And the reality is here in John 11 that this horrible experience that Mary and Martha go through led them to hope in the thing that would make not just a difference for right then and there, not just five years from now, not just 10 years, not 20 years, but an eternal difference. As Jesus and his disciples approached the village of Bethany, the scene was, it was not a pretty one, not at all. Before he even got there, Martha comes running out and says to him, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. Just imagine the agony that would have been there in her voice, the disappointment must have been a gut-wrenching thing to watch, the agony of this girl who lost her brother just sobbing if you'd only been there. Skipping ahead just a little bit, we're going to come back to these few verses in a moment, but Mary runs out to Jesus. In verse 32, it says this, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been there, my, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. It's true. God may know exactly what is going on with you and I. And he may have a good reason for it. But that doesn't mean that his heart doesn't break when he sees you hurting through the pain. That's very important for us to understand. He's not cold and calculating. He's not some unfeeling force out there that is just leading everything to a grand purpose doesn't care whether or not it hurts us. He loves you. John 11, 35, maybe the shortest verse in the Bible. Two words. And yet I think it's one of the most powerful. Because it shows us that God cares about our pain. Jesus wept. 
God not only knows, he cares about what's going on with you. That's right. When you're afraid, alone, when you're tired and frustrated, if you got kids, you know what that's like. When you're brokenhearted, if you're young, you definitely know what that's like. Comes when we're old too. When you're overwhelmed, suffering, aching, feeling at the end of your rope, God cares for you. You may feel like he's a thousand miles away. You may not understand the why. Why would he allow you to go through this hurting experience? But he cares. 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us, cast your cares on him. He cares for you. You going through a difficult time in life? I've had my moments, many of them just recently. Have you experienced loss and disappointment and pain? God cares for you. Verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a, it was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. Now, Lazarus was, was dead. The writer here, John, wants us to know he's dead. I don't know how many times. I didn't bother to count how many times he says he's dead. But now we have Martha saying, oh, he's very dead. Not just, not just a little dead. He's very dead. It's not the kind of dead where the paramedics come and they do the paddles and clear, and you jump up and play football again. It's not that kind of dead. He is dead. They buried him. His sisters are saying, he's going to stink now. It's been four days. His body has begun to decompose. This is reality here. He's made of stuff. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him. Let him go. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to feel bad for someone who's lost someone that they, they love. If, you, if you've attended a funeral, and I know many of you have, you, you go there and there's just not much you can do. Uh, I came I dressed up a little bit. I'm, I'm here, but, but really all I, all I can do is just say, I'm so sorry for your loss. And that is such a hard thing to, to, to experience. You want to help the person grieving so bad and you can do nothing. But here we see that God not only knows, not only does he care, but he does. And the same thing is true in your case and in my case. 
God has done something about what is going on with you. Just as Jesus brought Lazarus back to life, everyone was absolutely amazed. But the most important thing of all was that because of this, people there would understand a little bit more of who Jesus was and what Jesus came to accomplish and that he's the one in whom their trust needs to be. Verse 45 says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed him. Jesus could have healed Lazarus long before he died, several days before. He could have prevented a lot of tears, but because he waited, he did something even better for these people. He led them to believe in him. And, th- and why was it so important that they believe in him? Look back at verse 25. Jesus told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He said to her. She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. You see, you and I may wish that Jesus that God would just snap his fingers and everything's better. All our pain goes away. All our sorrow, all of our discomfort, all of our financial anxieties. But God wants to do something far more important. He knows that each and every one of us have a far bigger problem. He knows that whether or not we're aware of it, and many people are not, that the greatest hope that we are all longing for is not just hope, it's resurrection hope. He knows that because of our sin, we've separated ourselves from our, ma- from our maker, that we've turned away from him, that our sin has made us far more dead than we ever imagined, that we're cut off from knowing God, our maker, who we were designed to have this perfect, wonderful, fulfilling, joyful relationship with. And we are cut off from experiencing the goodness that he has for us. He knows that we have all sorts of hopes and dreams in our lives. We have hopes for health. We have hopes for wellness, don't we? We have hopes for financial security. We have hopes for happiness, for fitness, hopes for our futures, hope for our children's futures, hopes for, for feeling whole. It seems like a lot of people these days are longing to feel whole. There's something inside of them that is missing, and they're looking in all sorts of different directions. Many of them are trying to look deep, deep inside. What is it that's going to make me whole? Who am I? What is my true identity? And I need to be true to that identity. We have hopes for a world without war, don't we? We have hopes for job security. Hopes maybe for that house up on the hill. Hopes for new technology that's going to make the world a better, safer, cleaner, maybe even more exciting place. And he knows that all of those hopes are completely inadequate. Actually, they're more than just inadequate. They're they're dead hopes. Because the reality is, is that even if we achieve so many of those dreams, every single one of them will eventually meet the same end. 
And for each and every one of us, there'll come a day where we stand before our maker. And we're either going to be welcomed home with open arms or cast into outer darkness. This is something the Bible makes very, very clear. In the end, there's only one and only one hope that really counts, that really makes a difference, that really matters for eternity, and that is resurrection hope, and that's the hope that Jesus came to give. The Bible tells us God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He knows, he cares, he did. Jesus didn't come to make us physically healthy, did he? Otherwise, we would be looking awesome right now. <laughs> and not all of us are. I'm an example. He didn't come to give us lots of money. We look at our bank accounts and sometimes we go, oh, do I have enough to make it? He didn't come to make our lives here on earth easy. He came for a far, far more important job. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd the good shepherd, you know what he does? He lays down his life for his sheep because that's exactly what they need. That is their one and only hope. And that's exactly what Jesus did. That's why we're here today. He died on a cross for you and for me, the death that we should have died. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Look at that and internalize that. Friends, I cannot tell you how many people I have interviewed for, for church jobs or for membership here in our church, and I'll ask them, what is it that Jesus did for you? And they cannot express that. Can you? Is this where your hope is? That on that cross that Jesus Christ took your sin upon himself, your guilt, the punishment you deserved, he took it in your place. And justice was carry out, carried out on him, not you. He paid for all the wrongs you and I have ever done so that by believing, and believing is the key here that we've seen come up several times so far, through believing in him we're washed clean and our relationship with Jesus, with God is restored. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Three days after Jesus died, he rose from the dead. That's why we're here today. That's what we celebrate today. New life, a new season, flowers blooming, life exploding. Each sunrise should remind us of the ultimate sunrise, the rising of the Son of God, Jesus Christ from the dead. And Jesus lives today. <laughs> and because he lives, you and I can know that we can live as well. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He says, I'm, I, I can give you resurrection hope, Mary. I am the resurrection that Lazarus needs, but you also need it. In me is the hope that you truly need. 
in me is the answer to you being made right with your maker. In me is the, the hope that your life is not meaningless. It's not a waste. It will not end in oblivion. In me is an eternity to look forward to. In me there is joy. There is peace. There is purpose. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. No one comes to God the Father but through me. Do you believe this? Do you and I believe this? So what the whole book of John, the gospel of John, is written uh, for. John admits it very plainly. John 20, 31, he says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The work has been done. Christ has accomplished all that's needed for your salvation. His sacrificial, sacrificial work on the cross was the payment for your sin and mine. His resurrection from the dead is the guarantee that by turning around and trusting in him, you too can have new life. And all that is left for you and for me is to embrace it, receive it, trust it, and have him transform you. Do you believe this? In the 1960s, uh, it was a trying time for the world. Struggle for civil rights was at a boiling point. Riots in the streets. That area of South Los Angeles, known as Watts, burned. Protests were taking place on D.C. streets. Friends, neighbors, fathers, sons, daughters were losing their lives in Vietnam. A time of anxiety, a time of pain, a time of frustration and anger, a time of just struggling to get by. <laughs> kind of sounds familiar, actually. That's when a woman named Gloria and her husband, Bill, were wrestling with, with illness, struggling with the thought of introducing the child they were expecting into this chaotic world. And that's where they were confronted with the reality that the hope that they had been longing for was the hope that was found only in Jesus Christ. That hope makes all the difference. And it was a hope that led them to pen these words. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life. It's worth the living just because he lives. They're saying it's all about the resurrection. My friends, because Jesus is risen from the dead, you and I can have hope that goes beyond this life. Because he lives, we can know that we have life everlasting. And I don't know what's going on with you right now, but I do know that your Savior knows. Not only does he know, just like he cared for Mary and Martha, he cares for you. But what makes all the difference is that not only does he know, not only does he care, but he did. He did something that makes all the difference. Jesus said, I am the resurrection 
and the life, the only one, the one who believes in me, even though they die, they'll live. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe? If you've been come to that point where you've placed your trust in Jesus, would you consider making today that day? There's no contract to sign. There's no offering bag that's going to be passed around again and say, hey, you know, donate this amount and then you're good. It's simply about belief and trusting in him. Would you pray with me now? And if you've come to that point where you're saying, you know what, I, I do need this. I need my trust to be in him. This is not a magic prayer, but it expresses what needs to be expressed. Would you just pray, Jesus, I need you. Thank you for knowing me through and through. Thank you for caring about me. Sometimes I feel insignificant. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to take my place. And thank you that it doesn't end there, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And because of him and trusting in him, I can have new life as well. And if you're here this morning and your trust has been in Jesus, you're probably like me where that trust, it wavers. And you get distracted by all sorts of different things. You get discouraged. You get frustrated. Maybe even panicky. Maybe you've experienced some devastating things, things that I would not understand. Maybe no one else would understand. Remember that God knows. He cares. And he's done something for you. Oh, Lord, may our trust be in you and you alone. Lord, may today not be special because it's a time just for friends and family and food and going to church once a year, whatever it may be, Lord, but may today be special because we recognize that this is all about our one and only hope. May we be filled with joy and enthusiasm and the life of Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we sing because he lives. Whatever tomorrow brings, I can face it. Because he lives. There are many fears in this world, but they don't touch me. Lord, we know you hold the future. May, Lord, we look to today and to tomorrow with hope, resurrection hope, because Jesus Christ lives. May all glory, honor, power, and praise be yours forever. In Christ's name, amen.